I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. I'm really happy to be moderating this for your consideration panel with some of the extraordinary people involved in The Handmaid's Tale. I'm a ginormous fan of the show. And uh, so this is a real thrill for me. And I thought we'd start this conversation sort of where the end of season four ends up where, uh, you know, Fred and Serena asked June for forgiveness. And, And Bruce, did you imagine this turn of events when you were thinking about the show at, you know, and, and watching the evolution of the storyline and these characters, did, did you kind of predict that this would happen or how did, how did that work for you? Uh, well, I think, you know, the, the, the show's based on uh, how June feels genuinely versus how she's allowed to express herself. Um, so we know how she feels about these people. Um, and we know if ever given freedom to express herself, how she would express herself. Um, so I, I think there's an inevitability about it, um, whether it's expressed or unexpressed, what this show is about is her bringing these people to terms with what they've done, whether she gets the chance to do it or not is the question, but that building up that argument in your head saying this is why they're wrong and I'm right and is is what the show is about. So I think that whether or not we get there character-wise or story-wise, it was always the clash that was, you know, the, the clash of worldviews that the show was been, built on. And Joe, were you were uh, surprised that your character had this redemptive arc? Um, and and how did you feel when you saw how, how uh, the commander evolved? Well, I um, I love the idea that he goes through the journey um, and ends in a place of redemption, seemingly, um, and how paradoxical that he might get to that place of clarity, even if it's momentarily, and have it snatched away somewhat in the finale. Um, but it was it was lovely for him to come face to face, and I so enjoyed that scene with Lizzie where he 
he apologizes, you know, and I, there are parts of that apology which are, are genuine and it's parts of Fred, old Fred, um, and, but there's still parts of the sort of predator inside all of that apology as well and sort of reclaiming the narrative in his own predatory fashion. But um, it was lovely to go on that journey and the season is really about that, about sort of relinquishing and reflecting, um, but can can this character really change his spots i don't know but um but he came close which was really lovely to be invited down that road what about for you yvonne did you envision sort of what that moment would be like for serena kind of although i don't just because she's you know having this moment with june i don't necessarily believe that she has come full circle you know i think she's just so like she just goes from moment to moment kind of figuring out what's going to be the most ideal situation for me right now. And her ideal situation is that she doesn't want to have the stress and the regrets or, or any kind of remorse of what she's been doing with June this whole time, I feel like. And so what's convenient for her is to apologize and beg for forgiveness. And although I do think there is like a huge element of truth in it, I don't know that it like comes from that genuine place of I genuinely feel horrible for what I did. I think it's more... I just need you to forgive me so I can have a comfortable pregnancy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's it's self-serving. Yeah, I, I kind of feel that way. I don't know. I'd be interested to hear um, what's in Bruce's brain about that. But that that's that's how I felt. Bruce, do you want to chime in? Uh, well, I think um, people don't change very much or very easily. And I think people change quickly and easily on television. But what Yvonne says is exactly right. You know, uh, it's in the moment we make lots of decisions and we say lots of things, but as humans, we don't change that quickly. And, and I think the show is frustrating in the same way that people in our lives are frustrating that they don't change quickly enough um, and that more people don't get out of North Korea. But, but those things are complicated parts of the real world. And, and as much as we'd like Lawrence and, and, uh, you know, the characters that, that seem to be on an edge, Lawrence and Lydia and Yvonne or everybody, I guess, Joe, you want them to pick the good side and, and get toss away the bad side, but there is no such thing and it doesn't happen and they are who they are. And, and you know, I don't know very many people who have, you know, truly had the kind of regret in their life for the things that these people have done. I don't know that there's enough regret in, uh, to, to muster, so. And, and Lizzie, I think, I don't know, there was a scene, I wish I had written down what you said about what had been taken away and the power of men and sort of systemic issues with gender and sexism. I don't know, that really resonated with me. Did that, are, are you in the middle of sometimes saying your lines and thinking, yes, I, I, I feel what June feels about the state of the world? Yeah. All the time, all the time, whether, or even just, um, you know, sometimes globally, but also sometimes just on a, on a personal level, you know, she's such a personal character to me. Um, and I've put so much of myself into her. And at this point is a great thing that happens when you're on a show for a while, which is the, uh, relationship between you and the writers and the showrunner becomes very fluid. And, you know, at first you're doing what they're writing and then they're sort of writing to what you're doing and it kind of goes back and forth in this in this wonderful way um 
all the time, all the time. And sometimes other characters too will say things that I, uh, that really, really resonate with me. Um, you know, Lawrence often when he's speaking about June, it, it resonates with me. I learn a lot about June from the other characters, whether I'm in the scene or not. <laughs> Madeline, let me ask you about Janine because um, she has quite an adventure in this, this season. And we learn a lot more about her backstory, which I really appreciated and enjoyed. And I'm curious if you did as well and how it impacted the way you played her from that moment on. Cause I, who knew? Yeah. I mean, I tried for so long for the first three seasons really to not make any real decisions about who I thought Janine was just cause I knew that eventually we would find out. And I wanted to be able to just like soak up anything that Bruce or, you know, JC who, who had written the episode, I wanted to just kind of fully embrace that. And, uh, I was really glad and very, very proud to be able to tell this kind of story, this storyline for Janine. Our relationship, the relationship between June and Janine and just everything, it just colored so many things for me um, to get this backstory and then, you know, the confrontation between June and Janine, everything just kind of became a little brighter to me. Um, about Janine, she's always been like a big part of my life and of my heart and she just like, She's just tattooed in there now, really, especially after this, um, doing that episode and, and, and episode five as well. It's interesting, Bruce, how you, the writers and you and everyone who's putting this together, how you figure out when you tell a backstory of a character. I know I really enjoyed hearing more about Serena and what she was like before Gilead became Gilead. And how do you determine whose past or whose history you're going to mine? And, and, and why? Uh, I, I, I think we'd mine everybody's if we had the time. I mean, uh, you know, they're all extraordinary, extraordinary actors and we're curious about their backstories. Um, and I think that uh, Maddie, as much as she was trying not to decide, um, as Lizzie was saying, Maddie was telling us that all the writers what Janine's backstory was over the last three years, slowly. Um, so she was making decisions. But, uh, you know, I, I think all the backstories and from the response from the audience are super appealing and satisfying. Uh, I just wanted to say this year in particular, under COVID, it, it, Maddie talks about that, that episode like it's a normal episode. That episode was incredibly difficult under COVID. And the nine scenes we had of her in the past ended up being three scenes and everything changed all the time. And she was an absolute professional and also managed to get as much out of the story as we would have gotten in the longer version, in the shorter version. And that's a testament to, to her and Christina, the director and, and everybody else. Uh, it was, it's a remarkable performance under, uh, under normal circumstances. It's remarkable. This year, I, I, it's breathtaking what she was able to do. So I'm, in, in awe of that. Wow. You're like, yeah. put it some Get more. Added, honey. <laughs> Cut, Cut it out. Rose, <laughs> my turn, hon. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> well. And I want to talk to you about uh, Aunt Lydia because there's a little crack in, in Gilead for, uh, finally, for her. Can you talk about the evolution of her character and uh, sort of the the reason behind her increased humanity in this season, if you could call it that? 
Well, love is love, isn't it? And she loves Janine and she loves June. And as much as she likes to put it in any other fashion she possibly can, the truth of the matter is relationships are profoundly important to her. So I think if love creeps its way in, walls will begin to crumble, whether she would like them to or not. And what to me was astonishing about this season for Lydia, and I give this to the writers, and I give this to the other actors, and to Elizabeth directing, is that things that utterly surprised me, that took me totally off guard in the way they appeared in the scene, which is to say from Lydia, which I didn't have my hand on, because season four, you can take your hand off, because by now you know her, she knows you. And on the good day, she's going to talk to you and say, don't worry about it, I've got it. And that's what happened season four for me. And working with Elizabeth, who knows her well, and I know her well, and I love her, and she loves me. Sorry to turn this into a soap opera, but the point I'm making is something happens there, and that's trust. And then you know, okay, let's drop the barriers and get it done. That's what thrilled me, is to let her, let her come up on her own and see where she goes. So that just knocked me out. Very grateful for it. Wow. Lizzie, would you like to comment on that? <laughs> Sorry, kid. No pressure, doll. None of all. <laughs> no, I mean, I had this uh, incredible gift with directing, which was working with these actors. And it, it truly is a kind of extraordinary when you work with people for three years and a certain amount of episodes, and then you put on a different hat. And all of a sudden, it, it was just, I had an entirely new appreciation for how incredibly gifted they they all are and um the the trust that they that they gave me as a director especially on my first time out in episode three i'll never forget um the support they gave me i'll never forget and to to ann's point you know i've seen not just what you see in the episode on on hulu but i've seen all of the takes that they do before that. I've seen all of the other things they've tried. I've seen all of the things that worked and didn't work. And we've had all these conversations. So it, I did feel like there was an element of, of knowing them as not just their characters, but as actors that was helpful to us in our, in our kind of new relationship. Bradley, I, do you feel, I mean, I'm curious about, you've done a lot of different shows and is there something unique about this project for you and about this group of people? And um, I don't know how uh, serendipitous everything seems to have been with a lot of hard work, of course, behind the scenes. But I wonder if you could describe for me the specialness of this, this for you. Well, I, I feel like an obnoxiously lucky uh, actor uh, who's had some wonderful experiences but there is absolutely something unique uh to me about you know it's always alchemy and the the feeling on the set uh it, it's 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 a weirdly uh loving 
a gentle, <laughs> humorous uh, set. Uh, and I think that tone is uh, set uh, by Lizzie, uh, who, while she does Sophie's Choice, the series, is maybe the least uh, pretentious uh, uh, actor uh, I've ever worked with. There is, you know, we're aware, um, unfortunately, that we're we're doing a show um, about a worst case scenario about something that is all too familiar to us now. I keep, this is another one of those moments um, where I think as a country and all across the world, uh, we're being reminded that uh, misogyny, racism, sexism, fascism, they're always in the next room doing push-ups. <laughs> and, um, uh, to be able to be part of a show that is uh, that is saying something on top of it being this kind of extraordinary for me, a very lucky person, creative uh, uh, ex experience. There, there is. Uh, I know doing stuff with with Lizzie, which is an extraordinary thing, uh, given the fact that I met her when she, when she was seventeen. Um, there's uh, on this show the takes that work uh, 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 you you and I I felt this with Anne too. It's like you get surprised you're 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 surprised by what's happening, and it's a it's a function of the writing. I also love what what Anne was saying, uh, combined with with what what Bruce is saying. In a lesser show, people have epiphanies and become heroes. Uh, that's an insult to what a character like June is up against. And what Anne just said, I think is really true, is that uh, I start feeling this, 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 this kind of love, uh, you know, for, for, for Aunt Lydia, who I begin to feel to understand absolutely for June in a way that mirrors what I feel um, about working with Lizzie again after all these years. Um, I, I, some reporter said, you know, what does Lawrence feel about her? And, I, and I'm like, he loves her. He doesn't know, but she's leading him. He doesn't even know it. Um, but I, I, I realize I feel about June, uh, Lawrence feels about June the way I feel about Lizzie. It's, it's like, uh, it's it's the way I feel about my grown up children. It's like, oh my god, I can't believe what you became, and and you know your. I watched that episode. I was, I texted Lizzie. I said, okay, so you can direct too. Like, what's next? The fucking cello? I mean, it <laughs> it, it, it was it was incredible. So that, but there's something about this show that I love that Anne was talking about, which is. Uh, somewhere in the solution to these intractable problems, humanity and love in the darkest of circumstances can shine through. We'll be right back. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. 
Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. McKenna, I mean, first of all, hi. Here you are with this extraordinary group of actors and... Um, how old are you, McKenna? Um, I'll be 15 in June. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Holy cow. Okay. So what can you describe what it was like for you? First of all, your character is um, so fascinating to me. But just the very idea of coming into this group of professionals as a f- almost 15-year-old, right? Oh what can you, can you share with us uh, just what this experience has been like for you? Well... I am new here. It's it's interesting. I haven't really had a chance to talk to most of the people here yet. Uh, so it's it's definitely a little bit scary because in preparing for the role, I, I binge watched uh, Handmaids and there's not one bad actor on the show. So I did not want to be the person to break that perfect track record. Um, it's just it's really been a great experience to be able to be a part of a show that speaks out about so many topics and something that reaches such a wide audience, uh, especially getting able, being able to work with Miss Lizzie as a director. That was an incredible experience. She's, I, I can't put it into words. It was absolutely magnificent, but it's been something that I really hope that I get to come back to. And it's, I've loved it. <laughs> and, and when you, when you, when you said it, you know, your character is interesting because she's bratty and brave at the same time. And um, I, how did you wrap your head around kind of uh, showing the many sides of her? Well, like you said, she is really fascinating. And I think it's less um, bratty. It's just more of this. It's figuring out how to mix uh, how mature and like she is the mistress of this household. But at the end of the day, she is still an abused young lady. It's uh, it's trying to figure out how to mix together her immaturity and her being the brave young 
uh, Gilead survivor that she is. Um, In preparing, I did watch a lot of um, interviews with young women who had been abused or had gone through situations like um, she did. So I I, I wanted to make sure that I accurately betrayed her because there is no one way to play um, Mrs. Keese or to play her abuse. And I just wanted to make sure that I definitely did it right. So it, I just say at 15, I'm pretty blown away by you right now. And uh, Bruce, you need to keep her around. And I think regardless, you have an incredible future ahead of you. Maybe you could like anchor a newscast. I don't know, but, <laughs> but uh, your acting was phenomenal. And uh, you were obviously wise beyond your years. Max, I haven't forgotten about you. Hi, Max. <laughs> you know, I think probably with, with your character, that again must have been a real challenge because you had to incorporate almost two different people um, in in your role, staying in Gilead and yet wanting the best for June and also having this streak of humanity. Um, well, I love doing the season. I think we, we all did. Um, there was so much more to explore with, with all of these characters and uh, Nick can be very opaque right? Um, he's a sort of spy on a spy on a spy. And at the same time, I see him through rose-tinted lenses and have always been quietly hoping that his moral compass is in the right place. And I was very relieved this year. <laughs> um, the, the true north seems to be heading in the right direction. And um, just to echo what everyone's been saying, I think, you know, getting to work with Lizzie as a filmmaker pushed all of us you know, I think it's the best work I've done on the show and a lot of people's best work I've done on the show. She she had a way of sort of extracting something from us that was really exciting and it was a joy to do it. Joe, I, I, I want to have you talk a little bit about playing someone and I maybe Yvonne, you could chime in on someone who is just so awful <laughs> and so <laughs> evil and are, you sure? are we talking about the same character? I'm not sure. <laughs> and and I don't know. Does that start to kind of permeate your your psyche a little bit? And um, you know, just compared to many of your other roles that you've, you know, you're such a distinguished actor. What has it been like to to play someone? Um, someone like this who completely has lost his humanity along the way? Well, I feel sometimes um, I've been cast as a sort of dashing um, leading guy. And I feel in some ways, I I feel like um, a character actor trapped in a leading man's body. And so this, this character allows me to sort of get into an area I wouldn't normally be cast in. Um, so I've, I've relished that, um, but I don't, I haven't relished as people might relish playing nasty people. I haven't relished actually that part of his psyche because it's something that I'm reminded of when I come off set. I read an article, I hear something has happened along the lines that a Fred Waterford might do. And so I just feel like um, in the world of Atwood and Bruce and the, our, our dystopia, um, I don't feel I've ever really escaped it. And um, especially as I have 
two young daughters and an amazing wife. And the show has definitely refocused and recalibrated my appreciation of the psyche of women and how important they are in my life. And so playing someone like Fred, you know, I feel, I feel there's a, a big part of me feels um, kind of a shame that, that this is what I might have to show my daughters one day. Um, because it is their dad, but he's and it's not their dad. But but there are themes that are so pervasive, sadly, within our society and continue to be so. Um, and so I found I found that actually playing it and stepping back into the real world and sort of seeing Fred on the front pages of a news article or something in some way, shape, or form in some industry in some business uh, elsewhere that the sort of the awfulness of patriarchy the awfulness of and the patheticness of of um of patriarchy really uh, at its worst mis- misogyny and and um so it's been difficult yeah and i can't wait to shake off that itchy beard because he's that's a synonymous with fred and so um yeah it is weird and and tough and um and ugly and the tentacles of the man are, are, are pervasive but it sounds like it's changed your not not changed your personal behavior i think that's a little extreme but it's made you recognize things that have uh resulted in a deeper more meaningful and more mm-hmm. enlightened relationship with the women in your life absolutely i mean it's halted me um and and it, it, it's, the narrative has kept me suspended in a way where I'm deeply reflective. Um, yeah, daily. And Yvonne, I, you know, I, Serena is so fascinating to me because she does seem to um, vacillate. I mean, not, not a ton, but you do see these glimmers of hope. And I'm always thinking, ah, uh, you know, <laughs> Serena you've got it in you. And, and I'm curious what it, what it's been like for you to play someone who's so complicated and misguided and honestly, so lost at certain moments in her life. Yeah, I think, um, I somewhat echo what Joe was saying that it, I think at first it was really confronting, um, to play someone so awful and, and and I think especially as an actress as a as a female um I don't know that you ever really expect to play um the role of the rapist and not that I'm I am the actual physical rapist but I'm certainly you know the character is is there and perpetuating the situation obviously so it is that part of it is really kind of confronting and um and I think for the first season, it, it was very, it took a, a little while to sort of get used to, um, you know, like screaming at Lizzie and <laughs> scenes or um, just being awful in general in, in scenes. But, but now that I'm used to it, um, I just love getting into it. I mean, this is a role uh, that is one of my most favorite things that I've ever done. It is so intricate and complex and I'm so grateful to be the person that gets to play Serena it is just it is just an endless amount of possibilities on set and and when we get to play these characters and I I know everyone feels the same way with the words that we get to speak and the writing and um 
and the, and the actors and all of, all of the people we get to work with, um, the possibilities are just endless. And it's just so great to be able to sink my teeth into this role that, I mean, can really only be described as epically juicy, <laughs> you know, as a, as a performer, as an actor. And there's something fascinating about exploring female misogyny too, isn't there? Yeah. And, 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 and people don't want to talk about, but it very much exists in the culture. 1000%. And what we've been conditioned to as, as women, um, you know, even in daily life, even as a mother in my personal life, I experienced sort of this, this social misogynistic conditioning that, that I've n- noticed in women that they don't necessarily know that they're, they're doing, but they're doing it. And um, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating to explore. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You know, everyone was waiting, uh, including myself, with bated breath for this season. And I'm curious, Warren, about the challenges that were posed by the pandemic when it came to actually bringing this to fruition. Well, there were a lot of challenges. Um, First and foremost, we needed to create a safe environment for this cast and our crew. Otherwise, we knew they'd leave. They wouldn't stay and work if the environment wasn't safe. So six months of planning, hundreds of Zooms, uh, medical consultants that were taking us through all of the precautions we needed to follow, a 40-page protocol document that we needed to execute, millions of dollars, um, and, um, and, and I think uniquely, 
year four of Handmaid's Tale, we were nomadic in our storytelling. So we couldn't go to one stage, create a bubble, and just say, that's it. That's how we're going to function. Because literally, it's a road show this year. There is no home base. We're out there um, telling this story. And so that was particularly demanding. Um, When it's all said and done, um, year four, over 27,000 COVID tests, 11 positives, and none of those were connected. Those were all individual. So what Bruce and I like to say is, last year, where was the safest place on the planet if you were working on The Handmaid's Tale? (laughs) Bruce, did you have to alter any of the storylines given sort of the restrictions that you were dealing with and the protocols that you had to follow? Oh, absolutely. I think we, um, there was just the practical aspect. Um, The first practical aspect was creating a safe environment. And that really required us to make some you know, choices right at the beginning. I mean, it's a question of how many people you have, how many people you are, you know, the normal amount of people at camera versus a reduced number. But, uh, you know, all of these people uh, on this panel went to Herculean efforts to just to get there. Um, You know, for Sam to work one day, it's two weeks of quarantine on either side. Um, So he gave us a month to work for four hours. Um, And everybody did. So yes, the story changed and and these guys took on a lot more. They had had to fill in scenes that didn't exist emotionally because we we didn't have Zowie Ashton to film the scenes we needed with Samira to lead up to the other scenes because the math just didn't work out. She couldn't come. So we rewrote a lot. Um, and these, all of these people were so flexible and found ways to uh, make the story points work, even when we, you know, really didn't have the location or humans beings around that we could use in the set. They really uh, made it come alive. So it, it was a remarkable year in terms of flexibility, but me being flexible is easy. These guys being flexible is much, much, much harder. So they were amazing. Elizabeth, I wanted to ask you, um, and of course, everyone here who had to get in front of the camera, how, um, I mean, you all render such extraordinary performances, each and every one of you, but to be able to do it and to summon the emotion uh, without, in, in a less than linear way, given the kinds of things that you had to do to accommodate, how difficult was that for you all to kind of have to do things herky-jerky and accommodate sort of all the restrictions that came with this pandemic? Um, I think I I kind of echo what Bruce said in um, that it's my job. I mean, it's our job to figure out how to tell a story um, in the way that production is uh, asking us to tell it. Um, And we did have, of course, more challenges and more restrictions and more things to, to think about. But once we established... I think as as a production and as producers that we were going to be in a safe environment, we were able to communicate that to everybody, to the casting and crew. And it honestly felt like we came together in a closer and stronger and more collaborative way than ever. I think the time apart, the time at home, the time not working and not acting and not getting to do what we love for six months. I know, I know at least I can speak for myself. It made me miss it and it made me appreciate it 
all the much more. And I uh, appreciate the familial aspect as well of just being on a set. And I think we as actors actually all kind of became closer friends this year. Uh, you know, I got to work with actors that I don't usually get to to work with and spend time with them. And, and I think that we just, you know, the crew just kind of banded around us and everyone wanted to be there and everyone was so grateful to be able to be back at work and back at work on something that we're so proud of. Um, so I, I guess it didn't feel as much of um, uh, as a challenge or, or something negative. It felt like a, a very positive experience. Uh, Lizzie, what about finally getting out of Gilead? Of course, uh, June does against her wishes, but as a viewer, I was grateful because I don't think I would have been able to handle that if you hadn't finally been able to escape. But it did. It was so interesting how you all were able to, I think, deal with June's trauma. And trauma is such an important, I think, theme of this season. Yeah, I think it was it was really important to us. I'm glad you are talking about it because it was really important to us to hold on to that pretty tightly. Um, you know, I think there's a version that an, uh, a, sh- a show could do that would be very different from from what we did in in uh, particularly seven, eight, nine, and and ten. And it was really, really important for me to to be able to accurately portray what that experience would be like for her coming out of what she comes out of. That she's not going to have a perfect relationship with her husband, with her friends, you know, with people who are trying to help her, it's not going to be easy. And, um, and she's never going to be the same. And, and that story was told beautifully in the writing as well. You know, we always just, you know, we end up following these beautiful maps. Um, but it was, it was very, very important to us. And, and for me personally, it was I, the, the back half of the season was, was so cool because I got to work with these actors that are, that are all here, uh, you know, I got to work with Sam. I got to I got to reunite with with Luke and and have all of this incredible material that we had. I had scenes with Samira and Alexis and Amanda, and it was like it was it was like I had all this new material to play. To speak to your point about is there more story to tell? I had all this new this new stuff. I had all these new scenes, these new relationships to explore. Um, it was fantastic. And o- OT, I think that you know, I think that people watching really really felt for you. Because I think that trauma affects not only the person who's endured trauma, but of course, the people around that individual and the feeling of helplessness and confusion and having your partner lose a piece of herself. Talk to us about some of the challenges of playing Luke this season, you know, and all the anticipation and then all the expectations that aren't met. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it, it, it wasn't really that challenging to the extent to which uh, the, the, the writing is so good, it's so there. And of course, Lizzie is always just so genius that you just kind of like stand opposite her and like try and reflect back some of what you're getting. So, so, so like on an artistic level, that's just like the fun of it, you know? But I, I think from a character level, you know, Luke for three years has had this pent up need to be connected to his daughter, connected to his wife, and has been separated. Like you say, it happens to a lot of refugee people that have separated from their families. And so it's really challenging for him to get this reunion, but yet they're not yet still connected. And for him to try and bridge that gap and, and the ways that they fail, I think it was really well written and... So yeah, it was it was exciting to do as an actor, but I guess tough for poor Lukey. 
I'm a little freaked out to hear you speak, uh, OT. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. it every time. Every time I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Bruce, when, when you you know, I do. I wish that we had some of the writers because the writing is. I mean, every aspect of the show is phenomenal. The cinematography, the the acting, of course, but the writing. And did you consult people who are experts on trauma and on kind of what this experience might be like? Or did the writer's room talk to some of those folks? Uh, absolutely. I mean, we rely on experts a lot. So uh, we certainly brought a ton of people in from the UN. They've been very helpful. The UNHCR has been helpful. The criminal court, International Criminal Court has been helpful. But yeah, I mean, I think that the whole point of the show, the whole point of this if, is if you're going to show trauma, you want to show a specific experience of trauma and recovery from trauma, not a generalized one. And what, what these guys have done, Samira, Alexis, Amanda, and OT, they've shown you what it's like to recover from trauma in Gilead, they, out of Gilead into Toronto. They've all had very, very different experiences. And so we've built this skeleton of possible routes and then you drop June into it and she has her own specific experience. And I think what we're trying to say is there is no, trauma throws a bomb into your life and it explodes and it changes everything. And there's no roadmap that everybody is following. And on our show, we have this extraordinary collection of actors and we've seen them all go through it. And the message is everybody's journey through this is absolutely different. And some are health, some seem healthier from the outside and some seem less healthy from the outside, but everybody's has an individual journey through trauma. And, and not only does Luke and this OT's character, Luke, have to kind of navigate that, but Alexis, you do as well, not only personally, but in terms of your relationship with June and, and, and of course, you know, Mora and Emily are both, I think, kind of conflicted about their relationship with June. And I'm curious, Alexis, how, how, why that was so important to show this interplay to be problematic in many ways and, and for your character show how Liz, uh, how June had been damaged as well, and the impact it had on her friendships, not simply her marriage. Yeah, um, I think in the scene where Moira and um, Emily talk about June's rescuing all the children and how it left you know so much to figure out, and how they both individually had a little bit of anger toward her. It's not really what you expect them to reveal. In that moment, they're essentially trying to fill out her or um, see her plan through what kind of do the next step of what she of what she did, um, placing all the children in homes. But it shows that, you know, it's a very complicated um, experience, even like supporting one another through their recovery from trauma. It's so multi-layered and different for each person. So as those women interact and try to support each other, all kinds of emotions come up and it's really messy. And um, and as Moira says, even though you know, she feels anger toward June. She loves her, you know, and she she supports her and she wants to see her back. And then and then they do get her back. And um, and that's everything because it brings up everything in all these women um, that to have her back because um, each one is triggered in a different way. And it just brings the story to this incredible culmination. And in fact, these reunion scenes are so 
so moving and gratifying for someone who's been watching this from the very beginning. You know, you're so invested in these characters and you're so hoping that they will have these reunions. And Samira, was it, uh, you know, it, it's just packed such an emotional punch. And what was that for you to, to come back to the character of June, someone that you hadn't seen for so long? And did you all have to get back into an acting groove? Uh, because as, as Lizzie just said, you all really didn't do much work together for, for quite a while between seasons. It was interesting to me, I think, this season to see the parallels between Samira uh, and June's relationship and Samira and Lizzie's relationship. Um, <laughs> June, so I mean, like, June is so, I was so, Samira was so excited to read that this was going to happen. And I was so excited, number one, to, as, even as a fan, even, to think about fans watching the show, to finally see this, this thing that we have been waiting for for so long, but also... I, Samira, was so excited to be back on screen with Lizzie. I could not wait. I remember those very that very first season and then those very first episodes I had with Lizzie and how electric it felt for me and how fulfilled I felt as an actor to be on screen with someone like Lizzie and like the things that she brings out, I feel like, in me as an actor. Um, it's really, really, really exciting to be on screen and to uh, have that, that sort of feels like, I feel like Lizzie has said this before, like a tennis match almost, that, um, that I feel like I'm just trying to give her the ball back as strong as she gives it to me. But yeah, I just, I'm, I'm very, very, very happy that we finally got, it's so satisfying um, to finally touch her, to not talk about June so much, but to actually have her in front of me was, indescribable. Sam, I'm just curious that, you know, here you, 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 you become a part of this show that is so established and you're this brand new characters, kind of a psychological mediator, taking it all in. You're, you're a bit of an enigma, I think, uh, throughout you become less. So I think as the season goes on, but what was it like just jumping into this group and, and being a part of what I'm sure felt like a family and what just what was it like for you to be a part of this show? Well, my first job is, you know, as a new cog is to not break the machine because it's so well oiled. And, you know, these actors and the writing, um, you know, it was such an honor this year to, to be outside of just being with the Waterfords all the time who are have some problems um yep. say that mildly and um you know I, it's such it i i um i enjoy watching these actors in every facet as a fan and to work with them you know you just uh you know if i'm going to be I, I was telling warren and amanda if i'm going to be quarantined anywhere um it, it's good to be quarantined and to come out of it with a show like the handmaid's tale and feel like, well, that was time well spent, you know, away. From, if I'm going to be away from my family, um, I, I'm glad it's with people as talented as this. So talk a little bit about the requirements for playing Mark. He had to kind of not reveal very much of himself and right. you know, have a very 
you guys are all actors, so I don't really have even the terminology for this, but a very... Lying. Uh, it's called lying. lying. Okay. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Internalized or internal uh, character. And, um, and I'm just curious about what it was like playing this character who you can tell Serena's getting under his skin a little bit but you can't really read him totally, at least in many of the episodes. Yeah, I think one of the mysteries watching the show is, you know, trying to figure out where he stands. And, and I think where he stands is he's just trying to do what's best for, um, for America, for what's left of America. And so un unfortunately that makes him extremely diplomatic. So you can't really quite tell what he's- He's hard um, to read. Yeah, he's hard to read. Um, but, you know, if anybody can break somebody down, it's uh, it's it's June Osborne. So uh, thankfully, we get by the end of the season, there's someone who's going to get under his skin. Um, I think you swear June. for the first time. Don't you swear? That's right. Mark swear for the very first time. That's right. Yeah, he yeah. gets mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> very impressive. Oh. <laughs> And, and Amanda, of course, Rita, you, we learn more about Rita. Um, I think she reveals herself throughout the series, but I think we see Rita in a whole new light in this season and her struggles and her, her uh, having to straddle these two worlds. I, she's a woman of few words, as we've seen, and this is really the first season where she, she, there's a substantial amount of dialogue for her. And I've always leaned on her physicality to convey emotion, to convey uh, where I, where she is in any scene. And it was really important bringing that physicality still to Gilead. I did a lot of research on Syrian refugees and uh, particularly Syrian refugees who've come to Canada, who've fled horrific conditions, but still desperately miss a lot of things about home and still want to dress similarly to home. Who want to bring food and senses and smells from home. And so I was really trying to weave that in to this season as well, still clasped hands, head bowed forward, just her general physicality, simply because just because she was moved from Gilead doesn't mean that Gilead has been moved from her. And only uh, we see a scene with Rita eating sushi purposefully did I, I start to sort of change her physicality because I do think that um, a lot of people who have fled circumstances, who have, who have fled horrific conditions, still carry it with them for quite some time. And I felt it important to pay homage to the writing, to the vision of the story, but also to audience members who may have had similar situations or, or, or experiences to uh, sort of uh, to try to nod to them and tell their truth as much as I, I could. I wanted to ask Lizzie about directing because... Um, this season, you direct uh, how many episodes? Three. Three. And, and I'm curious about, I've always been fascinated uh, about an actor who is able to direct herself, himself, themselves. And I'm, I'm wondering about the challenges of that and, and <laughs> what you learned in the process. Um, you know, I mean, I've always been an actor who's very aware of the visuals. I've always been an actor who likes to be very aware of what's happening on set. I've 
I didn't realize this until I started directing that I have actually been kind of more of a director than I thought for a long time. Um, I like to know about the other characters. I like to know what they're thinking. I like to know what the actor's thought processes have been. I like to you know know about the costumes and the sets. I, I, so I've always kind of been like that. Um, the the biggest challenge for me was, I suppose, not having that uh, sounding board of a director to to bounce off of. Um, but I did have so many incredible, beautiful, talented sounding boards, um, you know, with, with, with Bruce and with, with our writers and, and my DP, Stuart Biddlecombe and production designer, Elizabeth Williams, and then all of these actors, uh, you know, I didn't, I never felt alone or, or unsupported at all. Um, and all the actors that aren't here in, in this panel, um, you, so I, it wasn't as much of, um, it wasn't, I, I, it was difficult. It was the hardest thing I've ever done for sure, but it wasn't, uh, again, like a negative challenge. It was a very positive challenge. And I, and I felt very supported. It's just not a one man job. I mean, there, you know, uh, it's just something you, you, you just don't do alone. And whether you're an actor or a producer or whatever you do on this, in this industry, in this, in filmmaking, it's just, it's not a, it's not a one-man band. So um, it was hard and a lot of hours and a lot of thinking and a lot of, you know, all of that, a lot of work, but at the same time, it was also the, probably the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. And I mean, look at these guys. I mean, the chance to get to, to talk to them as a director and to, um, offer them a thought and then send them and sit at the monitor and see what they do with that thought is the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen. I, I, I had a whole new appreciation for, for what they do, um, even though I'm an actor. So it was, it was incredibly fulfilling. I'm just going to go around and ask what for you as both actors and people who watch this show uh, if you do watch yourselves, I don't know, some people are weird like that, but what you, what is it that you think makes it work so well? And Alexis, I'll start with you. Um, big fan, by the way. Thank you, Katie. Um, um, what, I mean, so many things. I think everybody really brings their best. Um, so many intelligent, creative and hardworking Um professionals every every cog in the wheel is firing at full blast when they when they come to set or when they prepare to shoot this so I think I mean that's it's the team that Bruce and Warren and Lizzie have assembled and um, the creative tone that you talked about the beautiful filters and all the colors I mean that was a vision right from the start um, that they all established with Reed Murano um, our director of the first three episodes and, and they've carried that through so beautifully, these amazing shots. I mean, yeah, I love the visuals uh, that, that uh, also, I love them so much. And then the incredible, incredible writing, of course, um, that's our, our map as would be said. Amanda, what would you say when you think about the success of the show? I, uh, it, it's, it's the thing that I've been the most proud to be a part of, uh, not not just because of my my love for the book and and because I, I I'm a huge fan of the show, it's just to to experience uh, being a part of a team, and I mean across the board, craft service, costumes, writing, crew, uh, everyone wants to up their game every season, and I don't know if it's something that's been contagious. I don't know if it starts from the top down with Lizzie, Warren, and Bruce. But I find that it's the one singular experience I've had where everyone is 
competing with themselves to be better every season. And usually by season four, cast can sort of rest on their laurels and get bored or sort of phone it in. But it's something OT does this a lot in a scene. He always asks the director like 500 questions all of the time. It's lovely. Uh, but <laughs> it's just always wanting to be better and keep asking questions. And it's so inspiring as an actor that everyone is pushing themselves. And then for myself, I feel in order to be able to run with these people, I all, I'll also have to push myself. So it's affected my work outside of the show, which I love and appreciate. How about you, Warren? Well, I, I think our storytelling journey shows us where the strength of this series is. Um, and as you started this discussion um, earlier, Katie, it's a journey that's not done. Um, and so I think we as artists and the audience are absolutely attached to that journey. And then the way we execute that is with exquisite, exquisite beauty um, covering harsh ugliness. And that's fascinating to peel back the beauty of our images to understand how, how flawed uh, this world of Gilead is. And of course, you know, in the world that we live in, um, particularly over the last four years, and it's not over, we, we know that it mirrors um, the real world um, through the themes that, that Bruce is, is putting on the pages um, for these characters and their journey. And so I think that really, really resonates um, visually and, uh, and emotionally. I have to say, I don't get quite the pit in my stomach I did before November uh, of 2020 that I used to watching. We're all sleeping better, Katie. We all, huh? sleep, we, we all sleep better at night. No, really. I was always like, <sighs> Yeah. And I don't quite feel that level of intensity anymore. So I'm happy for that. But I think in many ways, uh, the intersection of real life and uh, vision and the rancor that was happening in this country did create the perfect, uh, I think, backdrop for this story, which would have been compelling on its own. But I think it just it heightened everything you felt watching this story unfold. Samira, how about you? When you think about like, damn, this is a good show and this is why, what do you think? Um, I'm not, you know, I, I guess I can speak to what I respond to. And um, there's something about the camera being so close on an actor's face in this show that really almost, I feel like I'm peering into some of these people's souls um things that lizzie or amanda or alexis the subtle things with their eyes a twitch of the upper lip things like that have you see i feel like deeper into their story and what is going on with that character that i think i think you're right like sometimes i watch you all and it's so subtle and yet it tells me so much about what you're feeling. And I guess that's the sign of, of truly great acting. So Sam, let's go to you. Well, I think Katie, you're hitting on something. It's this, the specificity of the show that is so marvelous. And I, I was struck here. We are 10 episodes into this fourth season 
and I had a, I was having a conversation with our costume designer, and I that conversation carried over to Joe, and the conversation was about not only what we're doing in the scenes, but how does what how does what we're the story we're telling with uh, Joe's art how is that to be received by our audience? Are we telling the right message? And that the actors and the costume designers and the writers, of course, that we're all still tuned into that after four seasons. Um, you know, that's the thing I'm, I'm most impressed and moved by on our show is that we're still trying to figure out how do we do good? I mean, is, is what we're doing the right thing? So it's sort of like the integrity of, of the story. Um, that's right. Really important to you. OT, how about you? Well, is there anything left? No, I'm joking. Well, you know what, for me, is like, I, I feel like what, what Bruce has managed to, to do in the, the writing team is just create something where, on, like, on an interpersonal level, a lot of people relate to the trauma, the relationships, unequal relationships between one and one's boss and one and one's partner, one and one's um, person who assaults you. But then on a, on a larger level, checking what Warren was saying, that, you know, the themes of what's going on in the world and and patriarchy and inequality and you know regimes which are based on populism and fear i think i think a lot of the audience see what's going on in their lives both in their own homes but also out in the world and, and i think that's what great art does you know it, it reflects back to your experience bruce i think the writing's great oh. <laughs> i knew you were um, gonna say that um i i i think um, for me, the the best thing, especially this season, is to see to see what a lot of what we do is to try to create space for these people to do their jobs, to do their jobs without worrying about. So they're not worrying about as someone thinking about the story. They're not worried about as someone making sure that we're not, you know, making a horrible moral choice. All those kind of things. And so uh, this season, by creating a a bubble hopefully allowed them to not be in a COVID world, to exist that way. And it expands to the whole cast and crew, as, as these guys were saying. I think we're, we're a collection of storytellers, and the more we are that, and the more everybody's encouraged to do that, the better off we are. Um, but when I watch the show, I, I, I like that it's made with care and respect that you know it's made carefully and it respects the abilities of all the people involved and tries to bring those abilities to the fore so that that's what i like about it is that, is that you can tell that the craft service people care when you watch the episode let's end with you lizzie i told i told lizzie before we started that there's been a lot of elizabeth moss in our home because my husband had never seen Mad Men. So we've been watching all of Mad Men and all of Handmaid's Tale. So uh, we, I feel very comfortable you know, looking at you right now. <laughs> you're in our bedroom every night. <laughs> so, um, but when you think about what makes, what makes this series work so beautifully and you've been so fortunate to be a part of it, what comes to mind for you? Um, it's kind of what Amanda was and, and Bruce was saying. I, I feel like, you know, what 
what you see when you end up seeing in the episodes looks, you know, polished and we've made decisions and it's specific and, and that's it. You see that hour of television. And, and I think what, what people obviously don't see and shouldn't see are the 9 million emails and calls and late night calls and early morning calls, conversations, and all of the work that goes into creating these episodes. And everyone cares so much. Every department, every actor, every person cares so much. And we've all been in this business long enough to know that it's not always like that. And some people can just come to work and clock in and clock out. And that's also fine. But um, we somehow have assembled a group of people who that's not fine. (laughs) And everyone gives so much of themselves to their role, whether it's an acting role or another role on the show. And I, I, I personally think you can feel that. And I think you can, you can see it. I definitely can. And I just want to say congratulations for another extraordinary season of The Handmaid's Tale. And I can't wait to see what comes next, even though I'm a little nervous. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you all so much. And and thanks for spending this time with me. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen, associate producers Derek Clements, Adriana Fazio, and Emily Pinto. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecouric.com. You can also find me at Katie Couric on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.